Tip a glass. Hi. 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 Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the automatic crowd. This invite is podcast. Welcome. Welcome. Hi, Ron. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm still recovering from our uh, our our trip this weekend. So yeah, you were raging for zebra like it so was Slayer, zebra. Rain, and Blood tour. I know. Well. You were raging for Twisted Sister, Ron. I definitely was. Especially yeah. when they did Tear It Loose. And, and everybody was so excited about the, yeah. the Tear It that Loose. Was, that was a gem. <laughs> that was a gem. They were so, ferocious, uh, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, D. Snyder um, uh, looks like something else these days. I don't know, 61, maybe? You know? The guy just doesn't age. I He's, mean, I not mean, an ounce of body fat, ton of energy. Voice is as strong as ever. I mean, yeah. I never noticed how much he moves like Iggy Pop. He's like a more controlled Iggy Pop. He does that, that move where he holds the mic stand and jumps up and down. Yes. That's, uh, and that's, he was doing it off Mark Mendoza as well. Yes. He jumping was on a, Mark Mendoza's shoulder. Mark Mendoza is a large man. Yeah, it's like doing it off a building. And Mark Mendoza, had, um, when he was here at, at Vitus, um, I took a picture with him, and he, he's a strange-looking guy. You mean like up close? Yeah. I never, just, I've met him, but I didn't have Well, he, just, he dyes his hair, anything. and he dyes his eyebrows, and he dyes his beard. And when you're that close, it's obvious. Yeah, you're just kind of like, that's weird. Yeah, but I mean, I, if you can I, do it, do it right. You got. I, I guess. I mean, well, yeah, but I guess he like, yeah, from the st- from like the crowd. It looks yeah, no one's supposed to be that close. No one. <laughs> <laughs> and well, maybe somebody, but, but not us. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> so who was drummer for Twisted Sister? Our buddy, <laughs> our buddy Mike Portnoy. Do we, do we have to mention him in every? <laughs> I think we have to because he's like the cancer that you know. <laughs> This doesn't go away. It just, yeah, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with this? I, 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 we just can't, we can't get away. I mean, For he, once I'll defend him. He and did say a great job. He played great. He's a true early Twisted Sister fan, like from the club days. Well, he's from Long Island. So yeah, he, I mean, you know, he better it's be. part of our DNA. If it's our pr- Over yeah. 40 and grew up metal. Proud. Twisted is the, uh, they're the pinnacle. Yeah, I don't know. When I was a kid, I, I couldn't get into the outfits, but, you know, that, that was just me. And then they did that. Uh, that was later for me because, I mean... But didn't they do it? They, they, they did that. Um, uh, what's the fucking Sherelle song or whatever? Leader uh, of the Pack. Leader of the Pack. Oh, God, that was so bad. Yeah, they actually did that on their demo and they used to do it in the early days. But that was actually the downfall of them because they have to stay hungry hit. It's oh, at least the way they tell the story now is that they wanted the band was conflicted. Like, we have to go back to our roots a little bit and get a little heavier because we just put out like a kind of poppy record by our standards. And D was in control at that point and he insisted on making Leader of the Pack the single. And it bombed, and yeah. then they basically took a straight trip to the toilet, and they flushing, put out an album out. After that, that was just atrocious, and they crashed and burned. And they crashed they, and burned. It took them 10 years to get there, and they fought harder than any band ever to get big, got there, and then blew it in like 18 months. They don't get to that in the documentary, do they? They, they so stop the, the it right when The ends right when Stay Hungry kind of pops off. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting concept to do it that way. But I mean, I uh, think it's a two-part concept oh, i think you, that's they're what they have in part? mind mm-hmm. and the story the beginning yeah. story is so long and detailed and there's so many cool but ridiculous stories that yeah I mean, they're going to be cooler than anything that happened on an arena tour and what was the other band that was mentioned in that documentary quite a bit oh zebra yeah, yeah. the band who's nuts you look yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh wow tell but me I mean, what you are yeah the it was. Uh, I mean, I like Zebra too. They were fucking great. They did sound great. I watched half their set and then I ran over to see Overkill. Minus, minus the, uh, minus. Uh, how was how was Overkill? They were great. They, they. It's. Did they wreck your neck? Yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the way home, we watched. Uh, we watched um, uh, the this first my first band. 
uh, doing our only original song, I think, in that set. But it was 1988 uh, at a place called February's in Elmont. And uh, for 20 bucks, they would video. They would vi- take a video of your show. And uh, so it was a bit of a train wreck. But um, No, that video was a gem. We covered, in, in that show, we covered Wrecking Crew. Oh, really? I wish you videotaped that. It, we, we did. It's somewhere. It's just whoever I gave it to put it on YouTube didn't. They put that put song that up. up. They, they opted, chose the original. <laughs> they, they chose the original. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> the classic first strike song. I wrecked my neck. Yeah, it is. It's it's a classic. You know, I, but the Overkill was great. I, I mean, they was. were, they still, they're like Motorhead at this point. They just put an album out every couple of years, and it's kind of you almost know what you're going to get. Yeah, but they 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 sound great. Does Bobby Blitz still import candy? I heard that's like his wife's business. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I've heard that as well. I don't <laughs> know the inner details, but yeah. I think that's the uh, interesting, the interesting in this day and age of the global economy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's worse things to uh, import. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> the blood diamonds, things like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> chocolate, I assume, is a pain-free industry. Oil, war for oil, those yeah, sorts of things. You know, I don't think anyone's killing each other for chocolate. But what do I know? I'm hey, Quack, what, what do you think of those it. pictures, man? You into it? We have a uh, Brian Quackenbush here, former employee. Um, Former member of uh, the death metal outfit Gang Signs. Active owner of Old Stanley's. Knicks fan, apparently. Yes? Yeah, looks to be a Knicks fan. <laughs> Yankee fan. Why, who's on the back of that shirt? Starks. Oh, yeah, that's way old. Starks. Oh, my God, yeah, John Starks. <laughs> yeah, he was a head case, that one, right? He was crazy head case. Yeah, team doesn't care. That fucking team doesn't give a shit about you. Well, you spent all might... that. You spent all that money on a fucking shirt. Sky, all these millionaires who fucking don't care what city they're playing in. They're just getting paid. They just go to wherever they get paid the most fucking money. Doesn't that apply to bands we love? Like yes, and Rush. What bands you love? No, because what, there's no fucking town pride for yes. Not town pride. No, I, you said they just come into your town and don't care. Oh no, no, no. I mean, I mean, like when they get these million dollar contracts, they just oh go, yeah, there's no the loyalty to that. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. That's they just totally want to get true. paid. That's completely true. These guys have been true. pampered their whole lives. But on the other hand, uh, there's a lot of serendipitous uh, things that have to happen in a person's life to become a professional athlete. So you know, and musician as well. I mean, I'm a big football fan. So uh, I did not know that about you, Ron. Yeah, I had season tickets to the Jets Ron, my whole life. Ron is a football fan. I would love to see you at a Jets game. Oh, it used to be wonderful. I'd crawl in looking homeless with like blue hair and you know your hair in front of your contemplating face. Contemplating if I should stand for that. I was like the original Colin Patrick. Like, should I stand for this fucking thing? <laughs> and I'm like, I guess I will. There's fifty thousand jocks here. <laughs> you know, then I'd go like to C Squad afterwards and see like choking victim or something. <laughs> Just to even it out. Just to like get my karmic balance. <laughs> Feel, feeling better about things. <laughs> Just to get both of my sides out. <laughs> anyway, so uh, hey, we did, a, we did a podcast episode. We interviewed someone and we're going to play it. Yeah, it's a perfect segue for Crowbar interview. <laughs> <laughs> I figured... Yeah, None I fig- of this applies. I think, I think the Crowbar one will be the next one just because uh, they have a new album out. It would be nice for them. They have a new album and it was a good interview. He was uh, really cool, really down to earth and very open. Bye, Brian. Later, Bye, bro. George. Later, George. No, man. Where are you going? What are you doing? You going? You going any place exciting? You want me to turn that mic on? You're right. All right. George will do anything but talk on a mic. Not unless he's singing. <laughs> Mr. Craig. <laughs> um, forget your roots. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get we'll get him on one day. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm figured the Kirk one will be uh, the next one. He's uh, he was a great great guy. He's sort of the Wolfman Jack of. Uh, which we get into pretty early. He's the Wolfman Jack of metal. He's uh, yeah. He used to do voiceovers when he's, he's not on tour. What a great, great radio voice! Maybe this will be his big break. Maybe 
Yeah, maybe we pushed him. Maybe we pushed him into it. Like maybe positive reinforcement. That guy, that special guy who just loves to listen to our podcast is going to listen to it and go, I'm hiring Kirk. I'm sure. I doubt there's a crossover, but if there is, I hope we made it, made it happen. For I hope him. We, if we made it happen, I'd be so, be so excited. We become his agent, and whatnot. Get our cut. Yeah, yeah. In the meantime, we got uh, St. Vitus's first of two shows tonight. Yes, with original singer Scott Riggs. Yeah, the original singer. That should be uh, great. It's with the Skull as well, which is uh, the original singer Trouble. Yeah. Two of the guys from Trouble and Slayer Hippie from Poison Idea are playing drums now, which no, is interesting. Now, there's, there's a tidbit that only Ron would know. Slayer yeah. Hippie from Poison Idea. Yeah. Killer drummer, though. And um, uh, I mean, I'm curious to see. I haven't I mean, never they, seen him play. He was in a metal band back in the mid-'80s called Mayhem from the U.S. Oh, we, yo, Johnny Stiff talked about them. Yeah, Didn't, I have the original right. demo. I bought it when I was like 16. And then they put an album out and they, they broke up. And I didn't even find out till the internet age it. Because his name wasn't Slayer Hippie, like whatever his real name is. And then years later, someone told me that that was the drummer from Mayhem, and it blew my mind. You think it's you think it's like Steve? Yeah, I'm sure it's a, some generic name. Steve Hap. Not, I'm trying to think of something with an SH, but I'm not being funny, so I should just shut the fuck up. <laughs> You'll just edit that. I'm, and say I'm, he's I'm cool. Uh, 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 I'm panning myself around right now. It's pretty fucking sick. <laughs> Headphones. <laughs> So sick. Special hey, effects. Fucking special effects. Watch out. <laughs> gonna start. We got a lot of them. Yeah, uh, tons. Yeah. If if I had the time, I would actually put some in. But and it, but who has time? Who has time? I don't. I just waited forty minutes for a fucking chicken sandwich at uh at Whiskey Burger. It was oh, kinda, that's convenient. I was kind of bummed out about it. But, was it good uh, at least. It was pretty good. Yeah, the olive uh, pesto spread thing was was rather tasty. I um, went in there because you said you might be there, and um. I walked in and everyone stared at me because I look fucking homeless because I'm covered in no, mud and paint. It's, it's, and um, just and they were playing like, Summer Breeze. Oh, they were. They, I yeah, waited was, for the whole song to it, end. It was, a yacht, song. it was a Yacht Rock playlist that they were playing. It was, uh, it was quite exciting. I mean, it was straight up the Yacht Rock episodes. Like, you know, this is it and fucking uh, <laughs> all, that, all that good. But Summer Breeze, this calms me. I should yeah. really listen to it all the time and maybe I wouldn't want to kill people all the time. <laughs> it just like, I instantly heard it and I went into this temporary zen. And then I left and Gigi Allen was rolling like, through my head. Blowing like the jasmine in your mind. Exactly. Uh, blow, oh no! Blow, blow, blowing like the jazz. Is it? What's the line? Is it l- blowing like, like the, the jasmine ja- in your mind? Is, is it? it? Is that the lyric? Or is it jazz blowing? You can Google in my search mind? it, but I think that's it. Uh, fuck! I hate when this happens. I can't. Did you ever hear the typo version? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's actually really good. Yeah, they do it well. They yeah. make it theirs. Summer breeze makes me feel fine. We can cover that. When our podcast fails, we can just do <laughs> covers of typo negative covering Yacht Rock. It's fucking sick, dude. You know, it's funny. Um, We're always thinking ahead. Always. Always, yeah. I'm always, I'm always a couple of steps ahead of doing things that make no money. Um, the <laughs> <laughs> you have a great resume of that. I do. I've, it's really it's the amount of hours that I've spent doing things that, you know, normal people would go spend that time doing things that make money. I, well, when so. you're dead and they make your obituary, you'll be seen as a sage and a visionary. <laughs> So rest easy. <laughs> well, they certainly won't be donating my liver to to, uh, to science, but uh, yeah, maybe they will. Not after that zebra show, no. Dude, what are you talking about? Do that? Oh, that whiskey was horrible. The car ride in. You yeah, were... Jesus Christ, that was fucking gross. Yeah, you were living it. Oh, uh, living it. Yeah. No, actually, I was, I was, I was okay. You were fine until yeah. you saw a zebra on stage and it was pouring and we were in mud and you yeah. turned into like. I know, and then I you met, turned into Slayer at the Felt Forum, and I met Randy Jackson. Fucking zebra! While everyone's zebra, bunch of fifty olds are waiting, and you're screaming, "Fucking zebra!" Yeah, dude, and you know, but it was you funny. Were amped. What was funny about it is that the only people I saw singing along were all women. 
Well, I saw a guy in a dying fetus hoodie sing along, which um, blew my mind. Yeah, actually, you pointed that out to me. Yeah. yeah. He was singing along for all th- three or four songs I watched. I was like, man, you can't judge a book by its cover. No. And anybody who doesn't know who Zebra is, they were a 70s, uh, 70s rock band that mostly did covers around the Long Island They were mostly known for Zeppelin covers. They were an incredible Zeppelin cover band. And then they branched out into originals. They did Zeppelin Rush and... Rush, yes. They did Rush. the Moody Blues. uh, But they were known for Zeppelin because he could hit those notes. And uh, they they were contemporaries of Twisted Sister when they were a cover club band. Um, And they went on to sign a record deal with Atlantic and had a gold record in 1982. And a couple of hits, Tell Me What You Want. And... um, uh wow! Why did I just? Who's blame? behind the door? Oh, who's behind the door? Which has a very Zeppelin-esque intro that is absolutely yeah. beautiful. Those are great records. Though. Oh yeah, he, they always used to. When I saw them back in the day, they would always do like five fucking Zeppelin songs. As, they always as sprinkled them in. Yeah, now, they would usually do the encore, the Zeppelin encore. It was like a thing. See Zebra with the Zeppelin encore. Yeah. And, but they uh, briefly went on tours for those records. I assume they. Oh yeah, no, I think they back. sold out Nassau Coliseum at one point. I think they did when the first album came. Yeah, out. I'm pretty sure. I don't think they could have done that anywhere else in the country. No, that's a regional thing all it's the way. It's definitely regional, but they did go gold. And uh, and Randy Jackson is a great guitar player who he I is. think still tours with um, uh, with Symphonic Pink Floyd and Symphonic uh, Led Zeppelin, which is what he does I think for a living. Although he's in his 60s, so who knows? Uh, and um, it was uh, really awesome to meet him. As I've spoken on the phone with him, so I'm trying to get him to play Vitus. Which never works. Yeah. But, uh, well, I'm trying. They, they played Lemoore's more than any band ever. And I, my, That's my understanding impressive. is that they played that. Sundance as well. That the other night. They might have done Sundance more than any band ever as well. But They I, definitely played Sundance a lot. Although they played a lot. Yeah. It was like almost a monthly thing for years. Anyway, so Zebra, check it out. And don't make fun of me if you don't like it. Fuck you. Don't care. And none of this, we've yet to mention anything that has anything to do with Crowbar. Yeah. So Crowbar. Yeah. Uh, we interviewed Kirk. We, we interviewed Kirk, and it was awesome. And uh, he sounds like Wolfman Jack, and he has a very hardcore punk background. Um, and uh, I think there's there's one poignant partner that I really liked when he talked about when they decided to slow things down. That was really interesting, especially because the time I was a metal guy, and I got totally into hardcore and punk. And then that he really tapped into that scene at the very beginning because he was naming the demos like Winter and Cathedral. Yeah. And I mean, that was right at the beginning of when that became a sound. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's funny because in, after meeting Phil and Samo, uh, knowing that those guys all kind of grew up in the same place. And, yeah. And, and, um, uh, all, uh, yeah, they, they, the, the obscurity of which they were into was interesting. They had to be tape. One of them had and to be it, tape trading because I was in that tape trading circuit. And when well, we were friends with Winter, but bands like Cathedral and Paradise Lost, when those demos came out, it was like this thing was happening. And it was very organic. And it was strictly from demo tape trading, like direct tape trading, like the bands writing each other, not even fans. Wow. And uh, it was cool. And there were only like a handful of bands doing it. And they seemed to influence each other. And then this whole generation came behind it. Right behind it, bands like Grief, and then it, now it's like a genre. Yeah, so, so genre, you were getting like, you were getting your tape personally from Lee Dorian. Yeah, my 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 best friend's band at the time was this band Sorrow, and uh, and I was good friends with the Winter guys, and I they were Sorrow. trading. Yeah, you knew them as well, <laughs> and uh, that's how we met. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Long Island. <laughs> yeah, reminder, and um, basically those bands were finding each other because 
they either came from a hardcore punk background or more of a thrash death metal background, and they were experimenting with something new, and those bands kind of found each other and I think indirectly influenced each other. Yeah. Oh, no, totally. And it, it's uh, it, he talks about it in the podcast, and it's very, very, very interesting. And, and he uh, mentioned the other thing that was interesting was that the Winter Guys were combining all that with Carnivore, and so were they. Yeah. And it was so. Well, he's was, saying that Carnivore is his favorite band. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he had like, it blows my mind that like I hung out with the Winter Guys and they loved Carnivore and that was a huge influence. And he was there in New Orleans doing influenced by the same bands. Yes. And yeah, which is crazy. No, they, I, I don't think anyone else was in, influenced by those two bands at that time. It yeah. was like such a random, you know, talk about like people running like parallel lives, but thousands of miles apart with no communication. It's really And then right in the middle of all of that, I told a story about a pregnant stripper. So stay tuned oh, for right. that one. Uh, it's very good. And uh, here it is. Enjoy. Kirk from Crowbar on the Automatic Crowd. St. Vitus Podcast, The Automatic Crowd. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. You got, all, you got all your stuff set up and ready to go. We've been loading gear and having a, a joyous time doing it. Um, Kirk, say hi. Hello. Tell everybody who you are. I am Kirk from Crowbar, oh, and right. pleasure to be here at St. Vitus again. Awesome. Looking forward to tonight. Yeah, this is like the fourth time or something. It is the yeah. fourth, I think. Well, yeah. we did the photo shoot, too. Uh, oh, yeah. That was fun. Actually, <laughs> we got Shirts uh, from from it. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, we made oh, a that's shirt. Awesome. Out of, I, I, out of one uh, of the Bohemian uh, Rhapsody, right there in that box, right there. Oh, that's a yeah. fucking yeah, that fucking rules. Yeah, yeah it was a great great photo shoot. Jimmy Hubbard, Jimmy Hubbard. Uh, Jimmy's best, best. man. Uh, we have a special guest host today. What up? What up? Nick MD. Yep. From Texas. Yep. Yep. And White Widow's Pack. Transplant. Yeah, he uh, he's a huge fan, and he wanted to sit in and. Bombard you with uh, questions. Well, not, yeah. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> and I'm Ron, ready. of course, my co host. What's up, man? Hey, Ron. How you doing, buddy? I'm alive. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Barely. You should start eating meat, dude. Just yeah. saying. Been you know, vegan you, too long. Yeah, no, I know. You I'm are. good, man. I'm in. You are. I'm alive. So, how, uh, how's tour going? Very good so far. Yeah? Yep. How long are you guys out for? Until mm, we'll be home the 11th of October. Oh, cool. So, um, we still got. Well, we're. About halfway, getting close. Damn, it's twenty six shows in twenty eight days, so I think we're right around. Okay, half. so you know what's awesome is in the headphones, you sound like uh, who's that fucking old DJ guy? Uh, Wolfman Jack. Wolfman Jack. Oh, yeah, you <laughs> totally sound like Wolfman Jack. <laughs> Fuck. I met him a bunch. He Did was, you really? Oh, yeah. with Johnny Mathis. Yeah, Johnny Maestro. Uh, Johnny Maestro. So he Johnny he, he wrote it for Johnny Maestro. Oh, okay. When, whenever I go in, like like into. Serious XM or any of them kind of, they're always like, dude, you got a great radio voice. You do have a great yeah, radio totally. Like, it's so silky smooth in, right. in the headphones. Uh, actually, uh, the first, well, I was, we were down back in 2002. It was before XM and Sirius uh, merged. 
and I think I think it was I keep one one or the other, but it was in D.C. and we did an acoustic version of um, Stone the Crow, and I think something else went down like in the studio, and the guy was like. The guy was like, oh, hey, hey, Kirk, how you doing? You know, I was talking to him, and he goes, he's like, man, you have an amazing voice. I thought he meant my singing voice. I'm like, really? And I, <laughs> I said, well, thanks. And he goes, he goes, no, man, you really ought to think about, you know, maybe a second DJ or something. I said, oh, you mean my radio voice? Yeah. Like some voiceovers. Yeah. Never thought of doing, like, Disney cartoons or anything like that. I'd love to. Oh, movies? Yeah. yeah. That's right. Get a beer bus and just, you know, <laughs> yeah, have right. some have some fun. Read a script. Yeah. That's, that's got to be the easiest shit, honestly. I mean, you yeah. can be wearing fucking uh, boxers and slippers and, you know. Right. You could be like Ozzy's guy behind the, uh, behind the behind curtain. Behind the curtain. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> I've seen him. Oh, have you? Was he wearing flip-flops? And <laughs> no, he was jeans and He's dressed in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to work. He casual. wants to feel. You know, Business casual. This is total, total casual. Yeah. So, uh, guys, plug away, please. Uh, well, where do you want to start? What was your first band? I mean, I know you did Shell Shock. That's the first. That's what I first heard of when you doing music. Right, Shell right. Shock. But uh, were you doing stuff before that? Um, my first legit band was. Uh, we started in eighty. Actually, we started in high school, but we didn't play a gig till about early eighty five. But uh, it was called Victorian Blitz, and we were like a. We had a lot of originals, and they were. You know, in the vein of Maiden and, you know... Classic metal. Early, for, like, yeah, like, uh, you know, new wave of British heavy metal type stuff. Um, and, um, it's the stuff you grew up on, I assume. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like I never really t- took guitar seriously till after high school. I played sports. I mean, I played gigs, you know, when I was at the high school fair and the What'd gym. And, what's that? What sports did you play? Oh, football, powerlifting, track, track and field. Powerlifting? Yes. Oh, my dad does that. Really? And you can't you see by the beer gut these days? Yeah, it's sick, man. <laughs> when you're uh, 16, and, and now I'm 51, so it's so were you like defensive line or something? Actually, I was. I was nose guard. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Um, which was weird, but but no, I, I you know I played guitar, and then like once football season ended, and I was done with organized sports, it was like, boom, it's all about music. Because I would listen. It was weird. I was like some kind of I don't know what you'd call me. I hung out with all the. Uh, Metal dudes, you know, and the weedhead guys and everything at at lunchtime, and yeah. we listened to we trade tapes and listen to tunes. Yeah. But then after school, I'd be hanging out with the jocks, so I got along with everybody. I never had any beef in high You're school like the cool whatsoever. Jocks. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Like the dude, you know, the yeah. guys would be passing out, one and running wind sprints and shit, and they they'll be like, you know, I'm on the sideline playing air guitar with a fucking rainbow <laughs> shirt on or something, you know, underneath my pants. Yeah, I, I used to be called. I, I we had a similar situation. I used to be called the Satan worshiper. They would just call me the Satan worshiper. Show, you know, you show up to practice on Saturday morning. And you're fucking hungover as fuck, and you like I'm wearing like my testament cut off right, jacket, right. and like yeah man, what's up? And it's oh the Satan worshippers here, and I'm running same thing, but like literally puking, yeah, right. running It's like oh god, well, what'd you do last night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I listened to King Diamond in a field and got yeah. wrecked. It's like music and cold beer will take you away from sports. You know? uh, yeah, well, at least me Crowbar might have been one of those mm. bands. It was like I remember it's like '95. It was like first year in high school or whatever, and just being like. I remember going to baseball practice and being like, oh, what did you do last night? And I'm like, shit, I went and saw Pantera play. You know, my dad took me to see Pantera. And they were just like, wow, that's crazy. And I remember being like, Man, I'd just much rather be at home playing guitar than standing here right now with all you guys, you know. But I remember that being a turn. Yeah, it eventually, as you get older, it kind of. 
Yeah, I mean, it's this. like I'm yeah, still, yeah. A, you know, it's mainly college football fanatic, but, yeah. you know, I'm still a sports fanatic, whatever, for the main, for the most part. But, um, you know, like as soon as, as soon as it ended, it was like, I mean, I've actually made more progress as a guitar player from the time I was 17 till I was 19 than I have from 19 till, 50, till 51 years of age. <laughs> because all, all I did, I mean, the second I got home from school until school ended, and then w- once I started, you know, got a job out of high school, I get, I got off at 3.30 every day. So I'd come home, take a shower, and... Play for hours. That was it. And then we'd have band practice. We'd have band rehearsal from, like... I jammed till, until band rehearsal. We had band rehearsal Monday through Friday in my mom's garage. We, like, soundproofed everything and all that shit. We jammed from 5 till 8, Monday through Friday. So I'd play, like, an hour, say, you know, uh, or so, you know, close to an hour before the guys got there. Then we'd jam for three hours, five Damn. days a week. It's and a then on the weekend. For a high school kid. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, it was this was right after high school, but it was... You know, I didn't have any other responsibilities. It was like no girlfriend, no no responsibilities, no no nothing. Yeah, so, that's I mean, the first mistake. Like, the yeah, thing. you know that was. Yeah, <laughs> they ruined all good bands. <laughs> um, but that that was you know then that that's what turned into Victorian Blitz, and I mean I, I'm self taught you know playing wise, um, right. but it it uh it worked you know it really helped my playing tons, and uh, you know like I said I made more improvement in them two years probably than I than I have since. I mean my style's changed quite a bit of course, but. That was like my, you know, that was my okay. My mom's like, well, were you registered for uh, college at U- University of New Orleans? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'll wait till, um, you know, the next semester after Christmas or whatever, after the first year. Okay, okay. So I had my job in, in the band. And when that came around, I'm like, fuck it. I said, if I don't try, if I don't try to be sick, you know, make, make it to whatever you want to call it, just making a living is what I consider making it, not being some rock star. You know, being, if I don't try it now, I'm going to hate myself forever. Because yeah. I got so many friends that were good musicians that just said, Oh, I'm going to go to school and get a regular job and get, you know, backup plan. And it's, yeah. yeah. And it's like, I never had a backup. The backup plan was I'll worry about that later if this doesn't work out. Yeah. I'm so. 47. I still don't have a backup plan. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I completely fucked myself. I don't myself. have one. I was talking to my daughter last night and she was, uh, she's in eighth grade and she was talking about school and she's like, hey, you know, she had school today and she's like, you know, she goes, I just, I just try to, and she's a great, you know, great, wonderful kid and a great student and all. She's like, I just look at it like it's just something everybody has to do. And then when you get out of school, you got to work. I said, yeah. I said, baby, she, call, she calls me Papa. I'm like, I said, baby, Papa's got to work forever. I said, I'm going to do music as long as I possibly can. But, you know, when I'm, you might, you might see me as a Walmart greeter or something, you know, <laughs> one day. Come on, welcome the to Santa, Walmart. Santa, 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 65 years old. You, know, yeah. like, might I, be you got to do something. Yeah, you know? yeah it's true. Well, it, it's like either school, work, you got to do something. You know? So the Victorian Blitz, I remember seeing pictures and they had like the teased out hair kind of vibe is that era. How'd you get from that? to the next style. I remember you saying you're really into New York hardcore or red. Like, what bands in that He's got a type era? of negative tattoo on his it head. Really yeah, well. <laughs> it, it really didn't take... It was kind of like Victorian Blitz. Like, it, it seemed like it was forever. But it really didn't... Like, from the time we started gigging till the time I left and joined Shellshock, which was basically a punk band kind of going in the crossover vein, it was only like two years. I mean, it seems to me like it was forever, right. but it really wasn't. You know, it was from like 85 to 87. By 87, I was in Shellshock. And they had been around for a couple of years before. Yeah, yeah. They, well, yeah. When I met the guys, um, the Hatch, Hatch Brothers, um, yeah. they had already, I met them in 83. I was still in high school. And uh, my guitar player, other guitar player for Victorian Blitz, Paul Bebo, I went to high school with him. He started working at uh, Warehouse Records in New Orleans. And he met 
Mike Hatch from Shellshock and Greg Hatch. And uh, they were friends first. And he's like, we met him. I met him like officially at a Dio concert in December of 83. Uh, Dio's first Holy tour. Holy yeah. Diver, yeah. yeah. They didn't even have an opening. They had some, a local band opening act. Sure. It was at the Sanger Theater. And, uh, was that a big place? Or? It's a, like a, two, you know, it's a nice old theater. Oh, you got the scene with Vivian Campbell. What's that? Uh, you yeah, got to see yeah. Vivian Actually, I met Vivian Campbell after the show. I met Vivian Campbell and uh, and Vinny Appice. We were like running around the French awesome. Quarter trying to find them. You know, we knew they'd be <laughs> out somewhere having drinks. We used to do that at all the shows. So um, we actually saw him at a bar. We didn't, but we I had a picture. I probably still have it of me. You know, kind of trying to grow my hair out. It wasn't quite there yet. You know, uh, of course that's uh, ancient history, but. Um, but yeah, we met. You know, it was with Vivian Campbell. It was great, and that's when I officially met, you know, Mike, and he became like my best friend. And then uh, I joined Shellshock, um, and then that only lasted like a year. On Mike committed suicide, but um, that uh, that introduced me because Jimmy Bauer was a drummer for Shellshock, so that introduced me a little more to the punk and hardcore thing. And that was the also first Jimmy that I got with you guys, but I had always seen the other records reviewed in Maximum Rock and Roll and they were on the mm-hmm. punk scene for a good four or five years. Oh yeah, they point. were, yeah. you know, they were around, they were old. Mike and, and Greg is uh, his brother, his younger brother, who's, he's still, Greg's a couple of years older than me. He was a, the original singer. What happened was they were gone. They were moving to San Francisco. Well, Greg, well, he just, just relocated after, since 1988, he's been living there. He just re- relocated. Um, to Las Vegas with his job, but he, they were all going there and they, they got in some kind of argument at like a fucking truck stop or some shit. And Jimmy was like, I'm going home. And Mike's like, fuck it. I'm going home too. Greg's like, well, I already got a job in San Francisco. Fuck it. I'm going to San Francisco. <laughs> so uh, he moved to San Francisco. Mike called me from a truck stop payphone, And he's like, he said, man, me and Jimmy are turning around. He goes, do you want to, do you want to, um, sing and play guitar and shell shock and victorian blitz are kind of just falling apart and i said you know what yeah fuck let's let, i'll go for it dude let's do it so you know and then that that evolved into me and jimmy we tried for a, maybe six months as aftershock which was kind of a transitional thing by that time we were listening to a lot of uh, you know, uh, Carnivore and That's Trouble, and then, then we that, at that time I started listening to a lot of Gnostic Front and uh, Chroma Eggs, you know, yeah. shit like that. Classic and, stuff. And yeah, and that kind of started this whole thing, you know, and the Melvins, listening to a lot of Melvins, um, St. Vitus, no pun intended, no, no, and no, no, bands it. like that. And then we were kind of like, me and Jimmy were like, you know what, dude, this slower things actually a lot heavier than thrash you know to, to us at the time and we, we were really that's really it, it was it was weird when i look back on how quickly it, it developed it literally went from everything's fine and we're shell shocked to like six months later aftershock was done the bass player quit and what actually he he had a good backup plan mike savoy is still very good friends with him he went to uh film school and he's now the dean at valdosta state so oh. he's a head. Yeah, head but he has to live in Valdosta. So yeah, but it's, I've actually been there once. It's not that. It's no, not a bad. Uh, I've played there like four or five times. I, I was the only place. The, the kids, the kids in the, in the town, they would they they had these shows in a storefront, and uh-huh. they would just get a keg and throw it in like a, a fucking thing of ice, and you'd go and you'd play, 
and it was super fun. But I became <laughs> over the years, I become friends with these kids. And this is in the late '90s, early 2000s. And and uh, it's the only t- they 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 were like, you got to see this thing one day. They're like, you got to come, you got to come. And we got pulled over by the cops on the way, and the kid was underage, and they were all drunk, and oh, it was fucking horrible. But the cop let us go for some reason. I think I was 27 at the time. And they ended up – they brought me to a strip club that was just outside of Aldosta. And we walk in, and the, the stripper is fucking full-on pregnant. Oh, jeez. Like, uh, uh, I would say, like, a good six or seven months, Ooh. like, full-on. And then we saw a whole cover it. band, and then <clears throat> I went home. Yeah, it was fucking – yeah, Valdosta. Anyway. <laughs> but, uh, the, the home so, of pregnant strippers. <laughs> yes. That kind of evolved, you know, very, very quickly to where we just dropped all of that shit. And then the first song – it was about, I guess it was early, early 89. The first song me and Jimmy wrote together that ended up being eventually a crowbar song was Waiting in Silence, which is the opening track off of Obedience Through Suffering. And by that time, we had abandoned everything. We're like, fuck this. We're tuning this, you know, super low. We're, you know, we had turned, listened to bands like Winter and Cathedral had just come out. Yeah, yeah. Was, you, just, was, wow. you, know, you just said the magic words, Winter. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up with those guys. Yeah. Really? Some yeah, of my yeah, best never, friends. I yeah. met one of the guys that, uh, I think when we played with Pantera at Roseland. Stefan or probably the guitarist Stefan. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm He's a massage album. therapist. If you want us to call, okay. Yeah, I got check. I'm in a rough night. I can call him. Tell him to come down. <laughs> Every day's of my shoulder. He can tweak you out a little bit. Neck a shot, but uh, no, man. So you know, we had demo. You know, we had demo tapes, tape trading with went. You know, went to Cathedral. You know, I had the Carnivore on vinyl and shit. The Retaliation is one of my favorite records ever, and it was all around that time. And then. Uh, so we, you know, we started with waiting in silence and just went from there. And it was just song after, you know, song after song. We did the demo. We immediately uh, changed the name of the band to the Slugs. Um, that's why there's really, there's really no wait. There's, there was even one gig, uh, Sexy T's first gig. We were Requiem, only one for one gig. Uh, there's uh, so many bands with that name though. You could, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, this is a long time ago, but still, um, it was. You know, it was one of them things, and just when we, we settled on the slugs, we're like, all right, we're the slugs. And then we got our first record deal with a little company from Chicago, Grindcore Records, and uh, they're like, sorry, you're going to have to um, you're gonna have to change your name because there's a band that's got a copyright. And, well, I was in a side project called Crowbar, so I called the wait, singer. Wait, somebody had um, the name The Slugs? Had yeah. to be a punk band. Yeah, yeah it had to be a was. shitty punk band. I mean, I remember Doug and the Slugs, but there was somebody. The, uh, there was a the this, Slugs. Do you remember when people cared about having the same name? Now it's like. Now you just put two letters yeah, on the end. Yeah, you just don't know. It doesn't matter. Right. If you go on Spotify and put in a band you want to find, you'll find like six different versions. Yeah, yeah. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah, it's a different time. What the fuck happened? Well, then we found out, you know, it's, it's well, we started, and it sucks because, like, I really can't honestly say when Crowbar started because we went from. Aftershock to, I guess, Requiem to the Slugs to Crowbar all in less than a year. You know, so we, I say 1989 because that's when the first song was written. All the same people, though, right? Well, me, me Jimmy, and by the, that time we were jamming with, with Todd. It was just me, Jimmy, and Todd. We were a three-piece in the beginning. Oh, okay. Um, and um, are, we, are we taking a break? Or? He's taking a piss break. But ah, no problem. <laughs> but, yeah, so, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to really pinpoint the exact Time, but really, it evolved so quickly. And then when we, what what happened with Crowbar was, we had one black guy in the scene. Derek Como is was his name. Is his name? Whatever. I haven't. I hope he's still alive. I haven't heard from him. I've seen him in many many years. But he was super cool guy, and he used to live in our rehearsal room. 
and um, he started his thing was fuck like screwdriver, you know the race, right, right, racist, the white power stuff. yeah, white power stuff. He's like, he goes, I hate everybody, and he goes, he started a band called Crowbar. He goes, and his, this is his name, this is his thing, and this is a black dude. His his name was Adolf Nigger, the Nigger of Hate. That's what he called himself. Wow. Whoa. And all his songs were like, by hating everybody, everything. He was like, he used to talk to Pete Steele on the phone, seriously, back like in the very early carnival days. He actually got me in the the carnival, was one of the main guys get me in the carnival. But he was, um, that was what happened. So I actually played drums in Crowbar. And we never did a gig. Like, we kind of switched off instruments. I think Jimmy Bauer played guitar. Derek was a singer. But he had a lot of killer. He actually wrote some lyrics on Obedience, like uh, uh, A Breed Apart is his lyrics. So um, his stuff made it to the Four first Walls, album. My Four Walls are his lyrics. Like, he would write them Shit. all in a notebook and just give them to me and say, Kirk, you can use them. These were supposed to be Crowbar songs, but it was Crowbar, the anti skinhead band yeah <laughs> so people find it's ironic because when we first came came out we all had shaved heads and we used to get accused of being a white supremacist no, skinhead band because we're from the south and i'm like no it's the exact is it, is it, is, we you, really started you out it, like, nick you're from the you're from texas <laughs> is like one of those things that, yeah you actually started out somewhat in a super nihilistic way but yeah. just being from the south and having um having uh, a uh, a shaved head was enough to make you? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you, everyone would assume that because I mean, well, in the eighties, no one shaved their heads but skinheads. Unlike now, yeah. I mean, it was yeah. a total. If you saw so anyone with a shaved head in the eighties, if he was a, anyone knew it was a skinhead. This is a so white guy. It's not like now where it's like a style. Some but people so, I mean, assume weird. We never wore, you know. Um, Doc Martens and, right. you know, stro- we never, we never dressed. and all that. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, we, we were never, it was like, you know, we're in fucking sneakers, whatever, whatever, and shorts and fucking metal shirts, which we still wear. <laughs> but, um, but it was, you know, it's kind of ironic. But that's what happened was I called Derek. I said, I said, look, dude, they're making us change the fucking name again. We actually have a record deal and all. I said, we're, we're probably never going to do a real gig as Crowbar because it's just not <laughs> gone anywhere. Uh-huh. And he's like, he's like, he's like, Kirk, you can just take the name Crowbar. Fuck it. I said, all right. And like I said, he helped out with lyrics, you know, and stuff like that on, on obese. Know him? I, I ran, I was, I was doing, um, helping with a sound company I was working for and we did some rap guy. Um, what's up mother Ann? We did a rap, some rap guy in like the kind of bad area of town where Derek lived. And I had called him up cause I knew he lived on music street. It's called, believe it or not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it's right. Uh, you know what music street is, babe? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's about a fairground. Way they do the jazz fest. So, well, he, he I called him up and said, "Look, man, I'll be working tomorrow, a couple of blocks from you. Come over to the show because after I'm, I set everything up. It was like a hip hop concert. I said I, I can, I gotta be back at like midnight to load it back, but I go hang out with you and you know. So I went to his house. That was the last time I saw him. Went to his house and hung out and drank some beer, whatever, jammed on music, carnivore and shit, you know, whatever. And then I'm like, all right, man, I gotta get back, you know, and, and load, load up this shit. And that's the last time I saw him. Yeah, I don't know if he moved away. I mean, he was never into drugs or anything, so hopefully he's he's alive and doing okay. But he was a, he was a very important part. Of the very beginning of Crowbar. Yeah, it sounds like it. And and so he uh, he basically gave the band the name and yeah. gave some lyrics. And is he going to show up looking for a check? Uh, <laughs> I would doubt. He did give me permission many years ago to use him. So. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Wrote it on a napkin. Don't come down. <laughs> no, he had, he, had a, he had a notebook. He had crazy, crazy. I mean, 
great stuff, but I was like, I can't say this. <laughs> going by the name, I can imagine. He's yeah, right, very, right. And everybody um, looks at me all weird. I'm like, no, that's what he called. You know, he had, he had, yeah, yeah, Derek, Derek Coma. He had one song called Black Water, and it was about. No matter how hard he, when he took a shower, no matter how hard he scrubbed his skin, he could never turn, get himself to turn white. white. I mean, wow. weird shit like that. Interesting theme. Not Real that weird. I would really want to write about, you know, sing about that anyway. But yeah. <laughs> he was a very intelligent guy, but he was, he was you know. Yeah, he sounds, like a, he sounds like a of, deep thinker who was yeah, yeah, very yeah, uh, yeah. damaged from yeah, him. He, yeah, he, he, I don't know what it was. He was a cool guy, you know, and I mean, he was brave enough to be, he was a big dude, but he's brave enough to be the only, he would go to a, Hardcore shows, you know, and be the only black guy there. Nobody fucked with him because he was really cool. You now know? you mentioned the white power stuff, and he obviously sang about it. Was that a problem in your city back then? Not New really. New York's New so Orleans. multicultural that we never we didn't have much of it. We yeah. grew up in Long Island. Long Island did. a little. <laughs> we definitely did, but Long Island had a very different element. But New York, the New York hardcore scene had very little, if any, of that. So no, we like did. We had a, a, a real small hardcore scene, honestly. But um, there was, a, I mean, there was small groups, you know, of of skinheads, but nothing, nothing much at Little all. Pockets of kids. Yeah, it was no big, you know, thing at all. I mean, I know, like in certain parts, you know, Texas, like in Dallas, and all, they had some some issues with with stuff Florida back then. But no, I mean, I do know uh, when they had they had some a bunch of skinheads or something on Geraldo Rivera. One of the guys from New I, Orleans. A bunch of my friends. Well, yeah, one of the guys yeah. from New Orleans was involved with the chair oh, swinging, really? breaking Geraldo's nose shit or whatever. Oh, wow. Was he awesome. one of the ones getting interviewed on the stage? I, he was on. I think he was on stage. I think his name was Don. Um, I mean, he was a cool dude. Just, I, I just, just nothing I agreed with. I, you know? I've been yeah, avoid, was, I've been avoiding all this white power skinhead talk. I mean, we haven't talked about Phil and Samo, <laughs> but not not to say that he is that because he's not. And no. I know. But, He's the, a guy who maybe drink drank too much and said some stupid shit. It, 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 it almost I was funny like not to bring it, that video up, but it it just looks like it looks like a sort of joke around inside joke that made it onto stage that was like he was too drunk to really yeah know I mean, what he's doing. I always say I can't by no means can I condone, condone it. You know, I mean I've talked to him about I, it. Of I course. like I like him a lot. I've hung out with yeah, him. Yeah, no, he's I mean, very nice guy. to me. I'm yeah, he's not. He believe, I mean, he's the furthest. It's the last the thing on earth. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, like I, I have to say it. Not not just to be politically correct, but it's true. I mean, I can't condone any any of that type of stuff at all. He made a mistake. He manned up to it, and you know he knows that. absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's sad. But um, you know, but um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're, oh yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say, actually, too, because uh, he he looks great. And I ran into Robin's reminding Kirk of things. That, <laughs> no, no, no. She was saying because he looks he looks great now. Because after after that, he he did he quit drinking. Oh no way! And, uh, oh, good for him. He looks he lost because he had gained you know quite a bit of weight. I mean, yeah. everybody realized that. I guess just you know just beer empty calorie beer weight eating drunk because it's weird. I'm growing up with Phil and all, he was always. Um, he was the first kid I met that would that wouldn't eat fast food. You know, like everybody, I'd be like, you know, he's like, oh no, man, I need a real, I need a salad and some veg. You know, like he always ate very healthy, worked out, trained. trained every, I know a lot. Well, you know, I think he's back training and 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 you know, quit drinking and he looks great and he's in a great. It's great funny. I mind. just thought of this. That the first time you were here was <laughs> a down photo shoot with Jimmy. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember it vividly because I. I came in and they were playing one of my playlists and Witchfinder General came on and Phil was like, 
Ooh, boy, which find a general put this on? And like me and him wound up talking for like the next hour and a half. Yeah, it was it was. Yeah, we did a guitar world photo shoot with Jim. Yeah, Jim. it was really fun. Yeah. A lot of fog, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that, that was a cool. That was cool. But yeah, yeah that, he, he's he's doing. He seems in great, you know, great frame frame of mind, and uh, seems physically really good. So that's a that's a positive. Cool thing. man, that's good great. So that. how did how did uh, speaking of which, how did down sort of come come about? Actually, Phil, if I remember correctly, he was, Phil was still living in Texas. Pepper was living in North Carolina, and um, so how did you know Pepper? Um, just from New Orleans. This is this is prior. He was in a band called Graveyard Rodeo. He used to practice, oh, yeah. rehearse in the same like building that we did, not same room, but same building. So, um, you know, I'd see him at all the shows and stuff, and I just, you know, I didn't know him real well at the time, but I knew him, you know, and um, I think we actually shared a rehearsal room for a short period of time. But he he went to go try out as vocalist for Coc, and ended up playing guitar like on the Blind record. And then when things didn't work out with Carl, when Carl left, yeah, it's funny he was on the single, singing yeah. on the damn single. Yeah, yeah. pissed <laughs> off that the other guy. Well, when, well, he, Pepper had played me all the, uh, um, all the uh, like the music for um, what would end up being uh, shit. What is it? Blind? No, oh, um, the next one. Why is blind? No, Deliverance. 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 Yeah, I don't know why I drew a blank. And I was like, you know, he had some demo stuff, I think. And I was like, dude, you just ought to fucking sing. I said, you you went there to, to be a, you know, by this time I knew him real well because we had already started down. And he ended up, of course, being being a singer. But um, how how Down came about was Phil. We all loved Witchfinder General, St. Vitus, again, you know, Trouble, Black Sabbath, anything to do with that style of music. Classic rock, you know, we loved we loved Skinner, we loved, uh, you know, just any classic rock stuff. Right. And, you know, Phil was in Pantera, Pepper was in COC Blind era at the time. Uh, me and Todd were in Crowbar, and Jimmy was in I Hate God. So this was like 90, 1991, and we all wanted an outlet that would allow us to play something kind of different. So Phil's like, man, I want to put together this fucking band. And we didn't have a name. At the time, he came up with it, and we were, when he did, we we're all like, "That sounds cool," you know. But what happened was, honestly, God's truth, we had we had a weekend, we had a Saturday and a Sunday. Phil flew in from Texas. Pepper flew in from North Carolina. Big Todd had a um, fuck. What did he have? I don't know, like a Grand Prix or some, you know, some some old car. So we picked up Phil at the airport, waited around. Got uh, got pepper as well. Stopped at the beer store, you know, grabbed a couple of cases of beer or whatever, and we went ironically to Mike Savoy, the dean at Valdosta State's house, <laughs> and uh, set up like a little demo kind of thing, like a glorified four track kind of thing or whatever. Um, and this is on like Saturday afternoon, and by Sunday evening, when they well Pepper stayed, I think, but Phil had to fly out. Uh, by Sunday evening, we had already written and demoed the original uh, "Bury Me in Smoke." The first, the first song was um, well, uh, "Temptations Wings," um, "Losing All," and "Bury Me in Smoke." We're all done in two days. Recorded, it's productive. Yeah, is that I mean, video, lyrics that black written on the spot. Video? Everything is that that spot. Um, a black and white there's video. some stuff from the garage. It's like a little bitty spot, y'all jammed. I think, it's it, I think it is. Swing. I think some of it is from. I think it is from the oh. from Mike's uh, um, garage, but that in that was the first demo, and we were all like, because I remember like 
Pepper coming over to my apartment, and we were listening. You know, we're getting beer or whatever, just listening to to the fucking uh, the thing. And we're like, man, this is fucking like amazing. <laughs> and so we just started like passing the tape out to people, like not even really saying what it was, playing it for everybody. And um, I remember Phil saying, being on tour with Skid Row and. He'd be playing the demo in his dressing room or Pantera's dressing room, and Sebastian Bach would be, you know, walk by and start putting harmonies on top of the vocals and shit like this, you know. And he was like, he was like, man, everybody just loved the tape. Well, then I remember Pepper came and stayed by my house for a few days. This is a few, like maybe, you know, a year later or something. And we demoed Lifer and fuck, something else. Lifer and I can't even remember. Maybe no, I don't think it was Stone to Crow, but um, it, it turned into where like then we did a a, sh- a couple of shows, you know. And this is still by this time, like the record wasn't recorded till 1995. By that time, Phil had moved back to New Orleans. Um, Pepper was still living in North Carolina, but um, we uh, you know, pretty much every song except I remember underneath everything kind of being written on the spot and rehab kind of being written on the spot. Um, and those those are the two the last two songs. But we played shows. We uh, we opened up for uh, Rog. It was called, which was Gore without the costumes. Yeah, like they used to backwards. play New York every yeah. once in a while like that. And we opened and they just up, show up in jeans and t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. We opened up for them. We opened up. We opened up for Crowbar. Down did. I think Crowbar opened one or the no. I think I think Down opened up for Crowbar. One or the other. But um, we did a few little shows, and it was you know nothing crazy. And then. You know, he's played he played his demo you know, the demo stuff for um uh I think Sylvia Roan was her name, um the head lady at his label, you know, Electra. And loved it, you know, and next thing I know I get a phone call, I'm sitting in the chair watching T V one afternoon, he's like, Dude, you're not gonna believe this. I'm like, What? He goes, Down's got a record deal with you know, we're working everything out with like we use Panta- Pantera's management, working everything out with them right Talk now. Um, for uh, you know this record thing, and we're scheduled to go in a studio in May, and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, wow, you know, <laughs> and it just kind of happened, and it, and it was one of those things because everybody was so busy with their other band. We put out Nola, and went on tour for like two weeks, and that was it. And then we went home, and that was it. Yeah, I you mean, know, it's like back to Pantera, back to Crowbar, right. back to Coc, back to Ahiga, whatever, and um. You know, actually, by that time, Jimmy was back in Crowbar, I think. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, and it just it just happened, and it just it was one of those things. And and you know, we we do an odd show here and there. The you know maybe we a mini tour, you know, like four or five shows, you know, in Texas and Louisiana, just you know, in, in between stuff. But everybody was always too busy. So then, did, did it become more serious after Pantera was done? Well, what happened was, was Pantera wasn't in, in my this is my opinion anyway. Pantera wasn't from what I know, wasn't done at the time. But in 2001, um, we decided, Phil and Rex decided, at this time Rex had been in the band. You know, we had started jamming with Rex Brown. And um, they had decided, look, we we need the original Rex (laughs) (laughs) Brown. My dad still calls him that. My dad, my dad. Are you serious? That's That's fucking awesome. What's up, Mr. Rocker? I'm like, like, yeah. And he's like, he's like, oh, tell, tell old Rex Rocker what's up. (laughs) (laughs) Tell him I said what's happening. But but anyway, man, so by that time, it was really just like Phil and Rex were like, look, we've been doing this shit since we're kids without a break. You know, we busted ass 
you know, play it every, you know, five, six, seven nights a week. Then we got it where every weekend we were doing shows and, you know, trying to get a record contract. They finally got signed. They put on Cowboys and it just kept rolling. And after the touring cycle for reinventing the steel, um, they were like, we need a fucking break. And, you know, and, you know, in their minds from talking to both Phil and Rex, you know, of course, the tragedy of what happened to Dime, like they said, they were just like, dude, we just we knew somewhere down the line we'd all get in a room together, get drunk, beat each other up, cry, hug one another and say, you know what? Let's put out another fucking killer record and dominate the fucking world again. And it, unfortunately, yeah. could never happen, you know, but um, that's, you know, we, we at, at that time that became all of our main band, you know, our main band uh, was was down. And then when Phil got busy with Superjoint, it was kind of like, all right, well, that's his, his main band now, you know. So I'm like well, scrambling. I put together, you know, crow, I didn't have a crowbar band. I mean, I didn't. It was just me. And we did uh, Life's Blood for the Downtrodden record with Rex. Uh, co-produced it and played bass on it with me, him, and Craig Nunemacher, who played on quite a bit of the crowbar and was playing for Black Label Society at the time. <laughs> and But I didn't have a band. It was just me and those two guys, you know. Yeah. Um, and right before Hurricane Katrina, we had, I remember talking on the phone on Friday night. We were supposed to meet at Phil's dad's restaurant on Wednesday and have a meeting to get down back together for real. Because by this time, it was 2005 and Dimes tragedy had already happened right. um so um that was on friday friday thursday night or friday night well monday came the hurricane and that was that so um you know fast forward six months or so after phil phil got him got completely sober and got his the back surgery he needed for a long time and he came he he worked so hard with phys physical rehab they were like oh you're not going to be you know you won't be on stage for a year to a year and a half well you know, six, seven months after we were in Europe with Down, wow. Wow. you know, yeah. and see, we worked really hard, did everything the doctors told him, went to his, all, you know, all of his physical rehab. He still does stretching stuff and all every fucking day. Like he said, he's like, dude, for the rest of my life, every time I bend down, I have to bend down differently. You know, yeah. it's like, it's just. Yeah, you adapt. They, yeah, yeah. They teach you what you got to do. But, um, but yeah, so um, that, that started back at that point. We went to Europe. We had never been to Europe. At, you know, not even nothing. We'd never, never been to Europe. We had done very... You didn't know what to expect. No. And every single show was sold out. And we did double... We did two nights at, like, the Astoria in London, yeah, sold I out. I mean, doing, like, <laughs> ungodly <laughs> amounts of merchandise. It's like, you know, every fucking person bought three shirts. And we were like, wow, this is really blown up big, you know. And then uh, it kind of, you know, it took off from there for a while. So what was your... What was your were you just kind of done with it when when you quit um it was kind of a mutual thing i was i was done with it in my mind and i honestly what happened was um we started taking a lot of long breaks anyway yeah and i could kind of see you know and i had a couple of talks with phil and i know i know phil extremely well and i know what he thinks you know and i and i know like what he's doing right now is he's got the Super John record coming out in November. They're going on tour in January. He just he's finishing up recording the War Beast on his label, and um, you know there was a lot of factors. But really, what happened with me, in all honesty, and I'm not saying it because she's standing right there. But, uh, once I got together with Robin, <clears throat> you know I used to love to go on tour. <clears throat> excuse me, and all, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my god, I don't want to 
be here. I miss Robin, you know, and we got married shortly after we got together. We've known each other since, for like 30 years or whatever. But um, we were kind of just like, it just, everything was going so good in my personal life. And then I just didn't want to be on tour. And then like on off days, you know, down, down would have a lot of days off and, you know, I just, I didn't want to be there. I'd sit in a hotel room. I'd sit at the hotel bar and just drink myself fucking blind, you know. And it just got to the point where it's kind of, a, they knew I didn't want to be there. They maybe didn't want me there, you know, anymore. And I, I didn't want to be there. And, you know, um, I, I thought about it. And I talked to Robin about it. And she's like, look, why don't you, um, why don't you just... You can do this. You can do crowbar, and you can make it happen. It's going to be a lot of hard work, but I'll help you with it. You know, I'll do merchandise. I'll help you with social media because I didn't even know much about social media, any of that kind of shit. She goes, I'll take care of all that end of it for you, and let's do this. You know, you can do it. So, you know, we parted ways is the way I call it because it was kind of, you know. Kind of mutual. Exactly. And, um, <laughs> but, it, it, you know, it, it really, and, and really I found myself like, born again you know i was like wow i'm happy this is great you know i don't i have the best of both worlds i mean believe me you know we might butt heads a little bit but considering we're together basically 24 hours a day every single day you know um 99.99 percent of the time is wonderful you know but it's you know i mean of course we have a normal little spat here it's just when someone fucks up the merch order (laughs) no well yeah exactly I i woke up I woke up to her going into the UPS store to find out that we didn't get the shit we were supposed to get. So I started off in a bad mood today, but now I'm in a good mood. Okay, but uh, but no, that you got a fucking show to you got a show to play. You better get in a fucking good mood. Uh, <laughs> I'll be good come showtime. What the fuck? But she she was a big part of it. Really, it, it was about you know not just. And she didn't have, like, she was just giving me confidence to believe I could do it with Crowbar and make it successful, which is made me happy as well because I became the boss. I became. In a situ- it was in a situation where the, my problem with down even you know even before I had gotten with Robin was I was it was my fault but I was working myself so much because Kingdom of Sorrow was active for a while as well and there was one that's the Jimmy Johnson time, time yeah there was one bit of time in 2011 where I did like a month with Crowbar was home like a week did like. Three and a half weeks or something went down, was home like 10 days, and then did 40 days with Kingdom of Sorrow on the Mayhem Fest. And when I got home from that, I was just fucking shot. You know, it was just, it was too much. It was my my fault. You know, I gave myself the workload. I was going to say, were you drinking heavily? uh, No, no. Even like uh, Josta's, you know, thing, because, you know, he hadn't drank since 2005. Yeah. Um, And the other guys in the band didn't drink. So it was like, look. He goes, you know, I know you like your That's beer. That's awesome. Doesn't it's, all, it's all cool. He goes, but let's do O'Doul's. You got O'Doul's before the show, on stage, in between, whatever. And, you know, we, we do our set at, in the afternoon. And then um, after the set, we go to the Jaeger. We go, go to the Kingdom of Sorrow booth, sign stuff, take pictures, whatever. Go to the Jaeger tent. And then Josta and I would go over to the his hateware uh, booth and sign stuff. And by that time, it was the evening. And it was like, you know... You're on your own. You're a grown man. You can go watch, you know, the other bands and have a couple of beers. But I was in bed by, like, 
I was up at like eight in the morning. I'm tired. Yeah, yeah you, well, you got to load yeah, it. I mean, yeah. when you're on stage at three thirty-five and it's a hundred and something it's, fucking yeah, degrees. Long day, man. Yeah, it's you know, it's, it's from there to this to 40 this. Forty days of that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there were off days, but it was like about forty well, days yeah, on yeah. the whole the whole tour. Still. We went everywhere. We started out in San Bernardino and ended up in like Fort Lauderdale or some shit. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So no, it, it was um at that point I wasn't it wasn't really drinking heavily. I was just smoked from. The work and I was just like, this is crazy, you know. It's like it's great, but it's being in three great bands. But at the same time, I'm like, this is just too much. You know? Right, like, workload. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, I just took on more than I bit off more than I could chew. And so it's, split, it's splitting your creativity. In a lot no, of ways, totally, yeah. because it's like it's it's hard for me. I mean, to go okay, I'm doing crowbar. Yeah, it's great. Now it's down. It's completely different style of music. It's different tuning on guitar. Now I'm doing solos. Now I'm singing. You know, it's backing vocals instead of lead vocals. Then with Kingdom, even though. It's it's really a lot different than Crowbar, you know. It's a lot. It's it's more it's definitely different. Hardcore. It's right. more yeah. you know upbeat stuff, and and it's like I, my playing style has to adapt to each band, and it, right. it, it, yeah. it was it was and difficult. When it's back to back was, like that, yeah, yeah, that was the hardest little stretch that I did, and then uh, all that kind of slowed down. But you know, as far as as me doing Crowbar and, and leaving leaving down, um, you know, it was really a lot a lot of Robins, you know, giving me support. And saying you can do this, and I said I felt born again, and I got excited about it, and I was like, you know what? After all those years, that's great. Yeah, you know, because it, it it never went away, it never broke up, it just went dormant. Right. It was like, you know, like I said, I, there was a, a stretch of time from like late two thousand and one until I think two till two thousand and four. That I was the only person in Crowbar. There wasn't a Crowbar. There was no gigs. Right. You know, we did the one record. Um, was basically living off of money from the down to touring and an album. And, uh, you know, when uh, we got back together with down in 2006, Crowbar went dormant again, you know. So it was one of those things that all worked out in the end. Um, and really, my relationship with the guys in down is very strong. It's, it's great. Yeah, it seems like and it, it now, seems now like that it, we're not in, biz, in, in business together. It's yeah. easier now. Oh, right yeah, now. yeah. Can hang again. I mean, I was never a, much a part of the business side of things anyway, but just, uh, you know, butting heads over how long are we going on tour? When are we going to go on tour? Who, you know, it was, was kind of like just, yeah. a, you know, whatever. Now it's a situation where I can just hang out and be friends with the guys yeah. when I run into them or whatever it might be, you know. So it's a, it works out for everybody. It's cool. Killer. That's great. And now man. you call the shots in your own band, so. Yeah, well, it's, a it's, a, it's um, everybody's got to vote, you know, but um, we all kind of. Uh, well, we actually ran. I ran into Snake Sabo from uh, Skid Row. I, uh, I, I know. I know Snake. Yeah. And uh, I recorded. He, I recorded a demo at his house. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> he he came out and uh, hung out with us for about an hour uh, the other day in Amityville. He lives a couple of you know not not long far and off from there. And um, he doesn't still live in Central Jersey. Did he? No. 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 He's, 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 he had he's the right old board from the Hit Factory. In his basement, he had really a beautiful studio. Sure. Yeah, it was like Back in Black was recorded on it or something. It was fucking nuts. Jesus. Yeah, it was super cool. He doesn't I, know me, but I saw him outside of Toys R Us about a month ago. <laughs> I, I, I had a really. He was really married now with two like, stepchildren. Skid Row, dude. He, he offered me all his leather pants and shirts when we, I was. He's like, you look about the right size. I'm a little too big now. This is like 1995. But the best story about that that experience was, I, you know, it was in the early days of the internet. So I'm in his. He's got he's got the internet, so I'm on some like AOL chat room or some yeah. shit, and a fax comes through. As I'm, and I turn around and I look and I'm reading the fax, and it's from Sebastian Bach, and he's quitting Skid Row. In this oh fax. no! You shit. got the fax. Yeah, I was, well, yeah, Snake got it, but I was sitting yeah, in the room, right and, and I'm like, and I'm just looking at it. And I'm like, 
Hey, Snake. You might uh, want to look at this. You might want to look at this, <laughs> bro. Kind of and I returned to his living room where he had a kegerator right next to the couch. It was really nice. <laughs> hey, you <have> sick. <laughs> so he, he came out because uh, he, he manages, I think he still manages down, but he, um, through, uh, with, he, he works for, uh, works for McGee, Doc, yeah, Doc McGee. For yeah. Doc and Scott McGee, McGee Entertainment. So he came out. I hadn't seen him in a while. And of course, it was great to see him, you know. But, um, you know, he was he was uh, real positive. We talked about everything with Crowbar and how it was going. And, you know, he's like, man, you know, I'm happy for you. And, and you know, glad glad everything's working out. It's great, so. man. That's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 nice that you, like, you just seem, I don't know, like, you came up with, like, Jimmy and all these guys. Like, you're just old friends. And yeah. when you get together to play, you play. And when you're not, you're not. And everybody's kind of doing their own thing successfully. And, you know, it's... I mean, it's it's good. I mean, for, you know, I mean, Jim... Um, like right after down, like one of the first times I talked to Jimmy, um, you know, after the separation or whatever, and he's like, "Look, bro, he's like, you know, he's just being Jimmy." Like, "Look, dude," you know, he goes, "You the same crazy motherfucker I met in 1987." He goes, "I don't think I love you. I don't think anything different of you. Do what you got to do. You know, I'm happy for you. Good luck, you know, with it and, and do it. Make it happen, man. You know." So, how does it feel to have? Another old friend back in the band. Uh, it's great having old uh, the old sexy one, um, <laughs> and it, it was a it's another one of them crazy. I mean, life is strange, and no pun intended with Todd Strange, but um, uh, it's it's like just in the last two years, maybe year and a half, two years, Todd started hanging out. You know, like just had seen, yeah, just kind of you know he's a single parent and um, he was a diesel mechanic for like he he left Crowbar. Became a diesel mechanic, was gone for sixteen and a half years. Put in his, put in his two week notice and came back to Crowbar. Wow! So, I remember there's um, always questions. Me and my buddies who would jam y'all's tapes would be like, "Yo, what happened?" You know, later on when he was, I was like, "Why is he yeah, not he in quit the band?" All to go. He didn't want to. He wanted to have yeah. a family and all. Yeah, 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 yeah. He ended up where you know it didn't work out with his marriage, but he's got his his son's fifteen years old. Fifteen, not fifty. <laughs> uh, Todd's fifty. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, and he, you know, Todd t- spoke to his son about it, and he said, "Look, I want to do this," and he's like, "Dad, we'll make it work out, no problem." You know, so his, Todd's mom and dad kind of watch him. You know, but he's I mean, kids fifteen these days. Right. That with technology and what well, my daughter's thirteen, They're and more it's like, with that right. stuff, oh yeah, my she's thirteen, and her they live about an hour from um. They live in a Baton Rouge area. Um, and, like, a lot of days, like yesterday, I call, you know, when I called, it's like, she's like, her thing is, well, I'll, I'll be home alone on such and such because her mom's a nurse. Um, and she works the weekend shift. She works doubles on Saturdays and a lot of times Sundays. But my, she's 13 years old, and when her mom's at work, and she's been doing this for two years now. She's one, they call them, like, uh, key kids or something. They wear, like, their little card. Latchkey kids. Oh, <laughs> yes, yeah, something. Yeah. And, um... It started where, you know, she, the bus would drop her off and she would let herself into their apartment and lock, lock herself in. And she's not allowed to, you know, I mean, she's got all the technology in the world and all that. And she's content. But, I mean, they're, they're independent. She cleans house. She cooks. You know, she's like, oh, I went through all mommy's files and cleaned it all up. And I <laughs> rearranged my bedroom today and did this and this and this. And she's 13 years old. What you know? kid than I am now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, yeah they're, they're like kids these days are, you know, they're. They're immature in a lot of ways, but they're much more advanced than more I was. I think exposure to more stuff makes it in some ways go up quicker. Yeah. Well, it makes it easy too. Where like you know, she gets when she gets more convenient for sure. off the bus, she calls her mom real quick or text. You know, I'm home, and you know, her mom a lot of times like on the weekends, she'll come home for lunch, or you know, she she can kind of make her own 
lunch break, or she'll even pick up Haley's my daughter and and take Haley to work with her, and she can go on to, in the library. She works at an old old folks home. She's a nurse there. Haley can go in the library and has free Wi Fi and all that kind of shit, and just. Piddle around, and of course, yeah, and you know, next thing you know, boom, my mom's off work, and they go home. So, you know, where it's crazy these days with the kids, but it's all good. I have a question about the early days. Uh, Uh I don't know. I assume it was your first show ever in New York, but uh, I think it was November '93. So, you guys in Sacred Reich at Limelight. That was the first show. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. I remember it really well. That was, uh, I think, the second album had just come out in '93. Yeah, it was Crowbar Crowbar. The self-titled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was our first. Well, long tour. We we were lucky enough to tour with uh, Pantera on Cowboys, and we toured with him on Cowboys, on Vulgar Display, and on uh, Far Beyond Driven. But that didn't come here, I don't think, right? Only to New York? Far Beyond Driven, we did two shows at Roseland. Okay. But that was later on. That was yeah, later, Our yeah. first time was Limelight with Sacred Yeah, Rake. I remember that show really well. Yeah. Not for the best reasons. You guys God, I love Sacred Rick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, they, they treated us great, too. They're still, you know, good friends. Um, great band. Wow, oh, they, they, they got fat. <laughs> well, we saw him at Maryland Death Fest. Oh, we, that was an amazing show. He kept making fun of himself. He's just like, yeah, oh, here Phil? we are. We are 200 pounds heavier. <laughs> yeah, he's like, it's been 30 years and 200 pounds. He was self-depreciating, but they were fucking great. They were so yeah. great. Well, I actually, um, for a while, I was in touch with, with Phil a lot. and uh, But uh, Greg, the original drummer that's back. He's a great drummer. Oh, he's amazing. I've yeah. never actually met the guy, but now we're on Facebook all the time, you know, chatting here and there and whatnot, you know, and he seems like a super cool dude. Man. We almost had, we, I, I had the Atrophy guys write to us about playing, and they were like, well, we're going to get Secret, because they're for, all from they're Arizona. They're the same area. Yeah. And they were like, we're going to get we're gonna get Secret Reich to come out and play, too. I was like, I've been trying to get Secret Reich for four years. Like, oh, it just, if you could do that for me, that'd be great. From Arizona. Thanks. Yeah, like yeah. Phoenix, <laughs> Phoenix area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so real quick, it sounds like your band wants to make fucking noise. They're getting all impatient and shit. Um, <laughs> what, we, we play a little game uh, at the end of every podcast, except for the last one, which I forgot about, because I was... Drunk, drunk um, or something, but uh, uh, it happens. Worst show, damn it! I keep this thing keeps fucking up. Uh, worst show, best show, worst show, best show. Yeah, what's your worst show ever? What is the fucking like? You were on stage going, "Holy fuck! I just want to fucking die. This sucks." Um, I had a real bad one in Spain where I was really drunk. Uh Back in 2010. Were you yelling at people going like, ah. No, no. It was weird. It was like we had a whole week off, and all I did is drink. And the day of the show, I'm like, oh, I'll be fine, whatever. Well, it I started drinking. Awesome. It was kind of like I had, like, alcohol saturation or something. Uh, like, I had so much brain, in my body. Because yeah. Pepper was like, what the fuck happened, man, after the show? And he, I'm like, he's like, I was with you all day. You know, you didn't drink that much. I said, I don't know, man. I just got up there, and I couldn't really play yeah like my motor skills were just whack that was probably the worst experience which but that was a good thing because i quit drinking for six months and did 39 shows sober and like completely sober and um which is not fun to me but i mean i like to have that little beer buzz you know but but i I, you know it, it made me step back and like Check Phil, a bit. Phil, Phil uses a, the term uh, "you're on off switch," which I, I it's a great analogy because when you're on off switch, works, you're good to go. Like when I wake up today, you see, you know, guys are drinking beer, or whatever. I, I know when it's time for me to have beer tonight. It's not right now. You know, I, I'm, I've found discipline through 
you know, through that. But right. that that was probably my worst. I mean, there's been shows, and I'm not lying. You know, in the early days, that are like you know one person or two people and shit like that. And you're just you know the crappy PA feeding back, and you know you're just like oh my staring god, staring at three of your friends in the front. Yeah, <laughs> not even friends, just guys kind of looking at us. <laughs> we heard, know, we heard, we heard uh, John Stanier from Hel- uh, from Battles and Helmet told us this great story about the Melvins actually. Where, where, oh, the story. Yeah, he where they did some show in uh, Port Chester, New York, and uh-huh. the Melvins played the same song twenty times. Twenty times because there was like literally, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, like no tickets were sold. That sounds like something they would do. Yeah, do totally that. does. But I then, thought you'd appreciate that. As far as the best show, it's uh, it'd really be hard hard to say. But I would say like one of the best things for me, like you know, people are always like, "What's one of the highlights of your career?" It was pro- probably when down we were main support for uh, Metallica on the first leg of Death Magnetic the tour. Um, and uh, we ended our leg of the tour in New Orleans at the Smoothie King Center next to the Superdome. Hometown. So but yeah. So it was like hometown, 18,000-seat arena, sold out, Metallica, you know, all the friends and family kind of yeah, things. So pretty perfect. I remember poor – I felt bad for James Hetfield. My dad, after Still my, mom, after my mom passed away for some crazy reason, my dad was bald since he was fucking 25 years old. He got a fucking wig, a toupee. <laughs> and here he is with his new girlfriend – Outside the dressing room door, and I'm running around like a madman. Everybody's blowing up my phone. We're trying to get people in, and, like, Metallica's like, look, we can only do so much. You know, you can escort a few in through the back, whatever. I got people like, well, dude, I'm on the floor, but my girlfriend's stuck up, and I'm like, I can't help you. You know, I'm, like, freaking yeah. out, <laughs> whatever. And I come up, and his my dad just chewing off James Hadfield's <laughs> ear, you know. And uh, James was, like, really cool about it. My, my dad, I'm not dogging my dad. I'm just saying he was like, yeah, man, I, I want to let you know. I remember they used to practice in my fucking garage. I remember them doing for whom the bell toes and all that shit. You know, he, Kirk was really influenced, you know, heavily by you. You know, it's great, great to have him out here on tour. And I was just, I was more embarrassed, you know, not not that my dad was being a dick, but it, I was kind of, kind of Your dad was punishing James punishing, yeah. <laughs> Right. And Hetfield's kind of just had that smile, like, it's all good, you know. And James actually got up, which was kind of one of the, you know, the, the icing on the cake was he got up and legitimately played Bury Me in Smoke with us um, the whole song. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, so, I mean, there's there's a lot of photos of me, him, and Pepper. Me and and Pepper are like, you know, two little kids on fucking Christmas morning or whatever. Like, wow. You know, I just remember jamming Looking, you know, right here, just jamming with Hatfield, looking around, going, this is surreal. That's a great moment. Yeah. I remember seeing him wearing a shirt, y'all, before I, I, like... It's had he had one. Before you guys were even, like, out, I think. We made a... Pepper made a dozen shirts... And they just had a little... Pe- little Phil bitty. has one in the, in the This Love video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> well, Pepper gave Hetfield one of the original, and he had it on, like, the cover of It's fucking, like Hit Parade or yeah, some one shit. Of the big, I, you I know, remember seeing that. Rip Magazine or one of those. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he, had it, he, he has one right. of the original. That's some fucking obscure that knowledge, that Pep made. That's some, that's some serious fan shit right oh, there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, watched, uh, I remember having that and being like, oh, I wonder who that is. And then eventually it all connected. And I'm like, some bitch. Uh, I, I have, a, like I have a copy of People magazine, too. Uh, when the Osbournes were a big hit, Jack had on a down work shirt on the cover. They were on the cover of People. On the cover of People. Yeah. <laughs> I remember getting it going. You made you know, it, man. I don't really wear this magazine, but he's wearing my band's <laughs> shirt. Show <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that to family members. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You made uh, it. Yeah. That's okay. All right, so, last question. Go, uh, a- aliens? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure they're there. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> that was that was perfect. Oh, uh, what about uh, new the new record? Um, 
I'm, I'm in love with it. I just listened to it again yesterday. I'm trying not to burn myself out on it before I even get a real copy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's coming out it's, next month, right? Uh, October 28th. It'll be out. Um, but it's really strong. I mean, rea- reaction. I've done a fuckload of overseas interviews. I have three here later later this evening that are about the new record. But I've done a shitload. Um, uh, uh, you know, mainly Germany. You know, but um, of interviews. And so far, every person likes it better than the last record, which was a great record to me. So um, it's a little more to me. Like uh, it's you know, I've said it in a lot of press or whatever but i intentionally kind of went back and um listened to old crowbar that i hadn't listened to shit i hadn't listened to yeah in fucking forever because you know i think you'd be kind of crazy to sit around and listen to your own music all the time you know i mean to me you know i don't do it no i mean i might play a song at the out at the bar or something here and there somebody's like man play one of your songs all right you know whatever but i'm on the jukebox but um but yeah i went and listened to a lot and then i I had gotten just, re- I mean, just for no particular reason, just it, right before the writing process of this record, I just got totally obsessed again with Trouble and Carnivore and the first typo record. Which is where you started. Exactly. And it, and it wasn't really, that was kind of an accident, but going back and listening to the crowbar was intentional. And then when you mix all that up, to me, it's a fresh sounding, more mature version of crowbar from what we wanted to do in the beginning. Yeah. It's better maybe It's a modern version. Right, right. Better musicianship. Couldn't couldn't get that word out. (laughs) Better, um, you know, much better production, uh, better vocals, whatever, better songwriting. But it was the idea of what we started back in, in in the day. So, uh, we're all super pumped for the record, man. It's fucking killer. The one song I heard is killer and the production is huge. Thank you. Thank you. Throwback in the, the artwork too. Yeah, which was, uh, well, we got it on the uh, tour shirts and the hoodies. Um, Josta was like, when I when I threw out the, the Serpent Only Lies as a title, he's like, that's that's hard. That That's good. That's good. And uh, Scott Givens from E1 had hit me up. Kirk, you got a title for the record yet? And when I said, he goes, that's great. Now, Josta's like, look, I got a guy that's going to work something up. I gave him a few ideas. It's going to be killer. And I didn't know what to expect. And when he, when he sent the email, you know, I looked on, we were on tour, and I looked on the phone, and I was like, this is fucking killer. It really looks great. It's a throw, it is a throwback. Maybe he's going to sell it, it just looks like better. Well, well, that's what, <laughs> what I think of Crowbar, like, the, the picture's always like, it's like a guy, but it's always like a struggle, you know, right, right, weight right. on top of him, Joke. and the struggle to overcome something. And so I, that, think, I think Jamie came up, kind of pitched the idea with the guy being strangled by the, you know, the snake or whatever. Um, yeah. And it no, came it out great. the title, and it's yeah. awesome, it's so funny when you bring up Jamie Josta is that he, he was, uh, Ron and I would know Jamie as the guy who sold records at the local hardcore shows. Right. For us. It's like whenever his, his career is, obviously he's a fucking hardworking motherfucker. Oh, God, yeah. Smart guy. But, uh, yeah, like, I said, oh, look, Josta's here. He's, I actually yeah, saw like his first band. Of hardcore records. I saw his first band, Josta 14, at yeah. the tune in in New Haven, and I interviewed him for Paranoid Fanzine. Did you really? Yeah, I did three questions, and it was like long before Hatebreed or yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, like two or three years. And his, the first Hatebreed record is actually a split with a band called Neglect from Long Island, who we, we all like. It's it's really funny. Was, anytime I hear Jamie's name, though, I just always immediately <laughs> go to him selling records at the PWAC. He <laughs> he is the busiest dude I know. I mean, it's like he's always got five things. He's all oh, music yeah, all the time, yeah. man. It's crazy. And I'll you know I'll hit him up on, on uh, asking certain things. He'll be like, yeah, I'm doing. 
you know, doing some soundtracks for uh, X Games, ESPN, and all this. I'm like, man, why don't you? He's like, fuck, I had to work my ass off to get that, you know, find that fucking gig. You know, <laughs> you you find it, you find know, your right? <laughs> but in a but in a loving way. But yeah. but no, he's uh, he, he manages us. You know, co-manages us with his manager, Steve Ross, is who manages all of Jamie's affairs, and it works out great. I mean, it's kind of, you know, like I don't get to. He's so busy, and now that we're in in literally in business together you know um and we have been with kingdom as well it's like i just he's so busy i don't get time like we don't talk on the phone much nobody does these days you know but um when we do it's for an hour and a half two hours and you know we get to joke around and kind of but really it's just emails and texts and business but he does you know he's a he does a great job of of uh you know, lead, leading us in the right direction. That's like I like I tell him all the time. Look, I can write riffs and shit, but I'm not a businessman. But little by little, I'm learning, and Robin's really catching on, which is a great thing too. Um, she, you know, with the ideas like she designed the merch, and she's really com- you know coming around. I mean, now it's going shit. We've done it's about the fifteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth tour that she's been on. So she went from. Oh, so she's done a lot. Yeah, we've been no, she's, Europe, uh, she's like who I, well, she's who I deal eight with eight times or something. <laughs> you know what's that? She's who I deal with. Yeah, you know, well, yeah, she's like my. That's my assistant, basically. And actually, you know, it's really funny because she wrote when I sent her our one sheeter, and and uh, she made the she made the she wrote me back about the because our one sheeter has some jokes about like shit you're not going to get yeah, on your yeah, rider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to get hummus. She you're not gonna underwear. Like, <laughs> so don't fucking oh, is ask that what for that it. Meant? Yeah, that's what she. I knew that was some weird <laughs> don't ask for the stupid. But I was, it, it was funny because a friend of mine told me told me to sort of write write this one sheeter that was fun. Because like you get you get these really stale situations all the time. Everything's oh, the yeah. same, and and it's funny how some people some people get turned off by it. Where they'll be like, ah, "It's fucking I don't just give me the information. I don't want a fucking joke." But Robin enjoyed yeah, it, so that was yeah. nice. No, she showed me that, and she's she's great because like the promoters like her. She's you know easy to work with. She's a sweetheart. She's you know, and she really helps. Like when we have other bands on the package, she if we're the headliner and we have three or four national acts. But they're on a package with us. She really helps those guys out, like you know, like the the mom of the tour. And, yeah, yeah. You know, That's making great. sure they're taken care of a little bit as well. Looks out for them. Yeah, which is a great, great thing. You know. So, no, that's you know that's rare. Yeah, it's nice. All right, we got to wrap it up because you got to go make some fucking noise. Apparently Nick's already Nick's already yelled at me. <laughs> you know. Okay. Are we holding them up? Yeah, because they can. If they start hitting, making noise, we're not. They're not going to be able to hear. No, then this is us. It becomes pointless. But thank you so much for sitting Absolutely. down with yeah, us. Yeah, thanks. It's been a pleasure. Your pleasure as usual. You got me out of my bad mood. I'm not. Oh, nice yeah, I'm right. right. I, knew I, I knew I'd settle down. I just had to get <laughs> my mind off of some of the business, you know. No, yeah, of course, man. This shit sucks. It's, uh, you know, now you get to enjoy the music. So That's what it's about. I'll get you your case of Coors Light and you can... Uh, Enjoy. <laughs> Pepper, Pepper, you and Pepper. Pepper's the other guy that was in here when COC oh, played dude, a couple yeah. shows remember, here. Remember he that? Was, yeah, he was like, people were down there. He's like, I don't drink that shit. Cruise light. Yeah, like, I put, I put right the on. Bud Light. I put the Bud Light down. And, <laughs> and their, their, their tour manager, COC, did two nights here, uh-huh. and uh, and their tour manager went like, I came back and I was like, wait, what's this fucking Cruise Light? I won't drink that shit. <laughs> I won't drink that Bud Light shit. I'm yeah. like, come on, man. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm either or. Although I do have the old mountain. The, the it's beautiful. Represent on there, um, hey man, I but uh, you know, I, I don't mind. I'll drink Bud, Bud Light, Miller Light, 
preferably Coors Light, but any of those three I'm fine. And in Europe, I just do whatever. I don't like the strong beer. I just like whatever the local Pilsner is. Yeah. You yeah. know, like you it's 4.8, 4.9%. That's enough. Just get the Carlsberg. But then every once in a while, they'll throw those, like, fucking 10-ounce jobs. Oh, yeah. Like, like 3.2. Jesus, in Belgium, it was like me and we were drinking. We didn't even realize it. We were down. We were drinking Duvel. Oh, yeah. It's, it's 9%. Like, yeah. It's like 9 point something or whatever. You get completely destroyed. <laughs> me and Papa have, like, two or three beers, and he's like... Like, my nickname in Down was, it went from Kirk to Kirkus. Rex started calling me Kirkus to Crocus. So they called me Crocus, like the fucking uh, 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 Swiss metal band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, he's like, Crocus, I don't know about you, but I'm getting a fucking buzz. I'm like, me too, man. And neither one of us could see without glasses. I'm like, see, I'm a fucking percent on this motherfucker. I'm like, Jesus Christ, you know, it's, it's almost 10%. So we're like, no, can you switch it up? Um, you know, something regular, you know. In Belgium, it's hard to find. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think we got Jupiter or whatever. But that's uh, yeah. 5, 5% or 5.5. It's like it sneaks up on you over there. You really got to be careful, you know, um, a lot that's of times. Just they, stick to light beer and maybe some whiskey here and there. You know, I just, I'm, I'm water and beer these days. Good for you. Or watery beer. Yeah, true. <laughs> if you don't drink it fast enough, that's a problem. Like with Big Todd, he likes he drinks Miller High Life usually, but he'll he'll he waits till like and like I'll I start out my beer o'clock thing, which everybody makes fun of, but it works. I start like say we're on stage at ten, I start at seven, and it works out fine. If you kind of get start getting a little tipsy, you can pound a Red Bull, drink a water, take a break for twenty minutes, and you're fine. You know, you you you, you won't overdo it. And if you don't, if you need, you're like, man, I'm just drinking slow. I'm not getting a buzz. You know, you can pound a few quick ones, and you got that that cool little buzz where you're totally coherent, ready to jam, fine. Not tripping over chords. Right, exactly. It's, it's perfect. But uh, Big T drinks so fucking fast that he waits till an hour before. But he'll pound like twelve or fifteen beers between. An hour before the set, and like, and out like like in a three hour period, he's had fifteen beers or more, and he'll just go straight in his bunk and fucking pass out, and you, you'll see him in the next, the next morning. Wow, yeah, he, that's he's, amazing. He's I'd want a fucking schedule. Party. It's a schedule. <laughs> it works, though. You know, he's, he's got his schedule. It's I got mine. Got we, schedule. we all got a um, different man. Cool. I just never been the kind of dude. Like, I mean, I love. My thing is, once I start drinking. I want to continue, not to, I mean, up until it's time to go to bed. You know, I'm not, not saying I never want to stop, but I mean, I'm not the kind of dude to go, oh, I'm going to go to lunch and have two beers with my lunch. It makes me tired. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I want to take a nap or I yeah, start getting yeah, yeah, a headache yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather just have water or Diet Coke or whatever and wait till it's beer o'clock. Beer, beer o'clock works, man. I, I have yeah. a two-year-old, so beer o'clock for me is like four in the afternoon. Yeah. Because I'll be asleep by nine. Yeah, it's it, whatever works. It's I mean, it's it's the same. When uh, my daughter, when she was little, she called them daddy cokes. That's what I told her. She goes, "What daddy cokes?" That's a great name. <laughs> and then, oh, and then my, my friend Andrew Spalding actually that, he man. used to do merch for Tybo, but he lives he lives in uh, in the New Orleans area, and um, his son he calls him uh, what's he call him daddy. Daddy something, like daddy drinks or some kind of shit. But I have my daughter, and I remember being at the supermarket with her. She was really little. I mean, really little. And we'd pass down the beer aisle, and she'd be like, look, Papa Daddy Cokes. <laughs> she passed that. That's brilliant. You're making me feel better for when my daughter walks in with, like, a Bud Light and just goes, Daddy's drink. And I'm you know, like, oh. she, she does, like, like every year she'll make me, like, a, like a, a, a little book or whatever for Christmas. And I'll be like, this is a story of my papa. He plays, you know, heavy metal music. You know, she'll have, like, she draws it all and everything. And she'll have, like, a little pop-up Coors Light bottle. And, you know, she's into, like, arts and crafts. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. But everything, like, like um, 
my gift every year from her and her mom is usually she'll she'll give me because I'm like I don't you know need anything. They give me a you know a pair of Converse or something, and but she'll make me a book and they get me like a six pack from uh, I don't know if y'all have uh, what is it World Market up here. No, oh, okay. yeah, I know World Market, but yeah, you can make yeah, yeah. Um, you make you can make your own six pack yeah. like like beers of the world. So you get like a Bitburger from Germany, you get like a Takati or something from Mexico. You know, now give me like a six pack, but it's always something with the jokes are always something with beer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's quite all right. On that note, go make some noise. You got it, rock bro. out. Awesome. Thank you, thank Have you. A great show, man. Yeah.